0: Hey Pete, how's it going? Good, good. So you and I were at uh, the Montpelier Society meeting in Guatemala, and we had a um, rum-infused conversation about supply chains, which is what all normal people do when they're drinking rum. Sure. And I and I thought, and you know, I was, ta- I was talking about an article you you had written that that was super helpful to me trying to at least start to unwrap this super complex subject. Um, that you've published at AIER, and and we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about um, all sorts of things related to that, and Christmas, and and Turkey Gate. Like, there's so many things to talk about here. But why don't you give us a just a quick uh, background of who you are, because you're not you're not a typical Austrian economist in the sense that you've actually practiced and you've worked on Wall Street and you've you've done the whole trader thing. And that that feels relevant to this this empirical question of what the heck's going on with supply chains?
1: Sure, sure. So uh, it's great to be here. Um, I uh, I spent uh, 20 21 years in financial markets as a trader, trading equities, options, futures, all that sort of thing. And uh, I also uh, um, I, I spent some time doing uh, 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 economics in gaming and also working in crypto. So. For uh, about two decades before I became a, an economist, or be- before I began applying economics theoretically, um, I was uh, involved in areas where you do that every day, but you usually don't even think about it.
0: Yeah, I, I saw on on your Twitter feed you were you were citing Murray Rothbard, so I, I assume you I just yep. assume you have some Austrian influences in that mix. Tremendously, absolutely. How did you find the Austrians as as a practitioner? Um, I'm assuming you hadn't heard of those guys when while you were doing that, and you eventually found it. no,
1: i I didn't uh, To be honest, I, I really I had always had libertarian instincts, even if I didn't know what they were called at the time. But where it really began to formalize, actually, it's kind of interesting that the conversation will start with like this. But it actually started in the aftermath. um, I was at the World Trade Center on nine eleven. And uh, as I was looking around, uh, you know, uh, in, in the weeks and months after that, as I was looking around for for different views on what had happened, uh, eventually it brought me to the Mises Institute and to lourockwell.com and then to a bunch of other places. And I began to realize that some of the views I'd had all along were actually neatly encapsulated in the set of ideals, free markets, personal liberty, Sound money, all that sort of thing, that the Austrian uh, school and that uh, libertarianism (small L) uh, uh, you, know, you know are based upon.
0: Yeah, yep. I mean, I I feel like, and and we talk a lot about Austrian economics on this show, but when you're looking at complex phenomena, and and I'm I'm suddenly thinking of Kamala Harris's explanation of inflation, <laughs> Um Oh. Every, everyone should, should go on, like, you, you'll be a little bit dumber afterwards, but everyone should go on, on Twitter and watch her explanation of inflation. And, and in some ways, I'm sort of sympathetic to her because she's not allowed to say that stuff's more expensive, but she doesn't know anything about modern monetary theory or anything else. So she, she just sort of eventually blurts out, yeah, folks are seeing that things are more expensive, um, which... Which perhaps is better than a lot of sophisticated economists. Um, A lot of, uh, I think it was The Economist itself had a headline um, that said, inflation surprises most economists. Right. I'm like, not the guys (laughs) that I'm talking to. Yeah, no, I
1: mean, nobody, I mean, I mean, if anything, if anything, uh, many economists have called for inflation long before it actually materialized. Um, but uh, I mean, th- that was that was that was a, a great headline, and also the one that said, uh, "Don't worry about inflation because wages are rising." Yeah. And when I saw that, I said, "We failed." I mean, if that's if that is the takeaway, the broad takeaway of inflation, then as economists, we need to do way better because the idea that inflation r- r- raising wages is, is is a is a silver lining is just, I mean, that's that's go back to square one. Don't collect two hundred Zimbabwean or <laughs> Venezuelan, you know, dollars or uh, whatever. I mean, that's 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 the sign that we need to do way better.
0: So, what is uh, uh, very quickly for for those few of my viewers that don't know sort of the Austrian take on inflation and perhaps the basic economic take on inflation? What what causes inflation?
1: I mean, the, the basic overview would be that you have more money chasing the same or a slightly less slightly greater more money chasing basically the same amount of goods and services um, it's an it's a, a monetary phenomenon and over time what begins to happen is as there are more dollars chasing more things the purchasing power which is to say demand starts to drop it at some point uh, it can reach uh, blow off proportions in a, a galloping or even a hyperinflation but you know I'm really cautious about even mentioning hyperinflation because hyperinflations are very rare and you don't need a hyperinflation to destroy your economy. I, I, wrote, I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago about what was happening um, in, in, in the 99 cent pizza places in New York City and also other places where they're having to break the buck, so to speak. And um, you don't need hyperinflation to wreck an economy. A mere, a mere and very unsexy 10 to 20 percent a year will do the trick. Yeah. Yeah. We talk a lot about those, but those are extreme situations that aren't necessary for upending uh, economic interactions and social interactions related to money and all that.
0: And and what's relevant about that, um, you mentioned Venezuela, and I remember, I think it was a few years ago now, uh, Nicolas Maduro, the socialist dictator there, uh, decreed a 500% increase in the minimum wage, which, which sounds kind of awesome on its face, because who wouldn't want a 500% uh, raise? Sure. But of course, that was in the context of hyperinflation, and the people very much viewed it for what it was, which was a, a meaningless um, gift of money that couldn't buy any goods. There were no goods on the shelf. And even if you could afford them, the, the inflation rate was was some uh, X factor higher than 500 percent. And that that happens even today in the United States, we're not talking about hyperinflation, but we're talking about sort of the, the, the slow stealing of uh, particularly working folks who, who hold, have savings accounts and hold a lot of their value in cash. Um, when, when you print more money, the value of those holdings goes down. And l- unless you're a sophisticated Wall Street trader that knows how to play that game, you're getting screwed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Not only that, but, uh, but also there's a point where expectations take over and someone like Maduro saying we're going to bump up, you know, the minimum wage or whatever it is, leads to an accelerated drop in purchasing power as people are even less older, likely to hold money and want to immediately move that money into something tangible that they think they can either trade or will, will, carry, will hold value or, or whatever. So um, at one point, uh, it's like a treadmill that's going faster and faster. And you're right. It hurts people on a fixed income, it hurts the poor. and it also it also hurts creditors um, because who wouldn't want to take a loan or receive credit and pay that person back in less valuable uh, currency? So um, it's uh, uh, I, I mean part of my the dissertation I'm now working on has to do with the fact that when you have a, a inflation, it also changes financial metrics. so, the, the, the means of that we use to say value certain goods or to 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 look at balance sheets gets completely upended and some companies that probably should be treated more harshly by the market may get by and others that are doing a good job may not receive the sort of market credit they would in terms of like valuation price or in terms of transactions because of the various and sundry effects of the uh, of the instability of the monetary unit
0: yeah and this 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 also was sort of the basis of the um, Austrian business cycle theory built out by, by Ludwig von Mises and Murray Rothbard yep. and, and, and Hayek to us, to a certain extent that, um, you know, if you screw up the, uh, standard of value and that screws up prices, it screws up market knowledge mm-hmm. and people are, people are making, um, clusters of bad decisions in a way that, that wouldn't be typical of a market. So that that's the boom. And inevitably, if the government allows for it, um, the bust that follows is super painful. Reorganizing things based on real values, not mm-hmm. funny money values.
1: Right, right, yeah. And it always starts with the heavy capital items, you know, land, uh, stocks, um, heavy industry with longer uh, production, uh, with with longer term structures of production, which is why you have heavy unemployment early on. You have uh, you know a big drop in stock prices. I mean, uh, it's 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 a it's it's a phenomenon which you see over and over throughout history,
0: yeah, so that's that's one factor, inflation. And I think um except for some of the economists at The Economist, uh, perhaps a poorly named magazine, um, <laughs> none of us would be surprised by the fact that that in in the last, um, Twenty months, the government has spent about six trillion dollars. It doesn't have, and I think that number's actually gone up now. Mm-hmm. I've, in some ways, I've stopped paying attention because you know a trillion here, a trillion there, and um, you know it's it's pretty, real. Pretty but,
1: soon, it's real money.
0: I mean, yeah. yeah, but you know there's only three ways for governments to spend money they don't have. They could raise taxes, uh, they could borrow more. But in this case, um, there are limits on on the government's ability to do those two things. So instead. They expand the money supply. Um, it, you know, it's not technically the printing press, but but we we can assume that most of that six trillion is going to create inflationary pressure um, on on everything.
1: You know, at this point, it's like splitting hairs, but I would argue that the printing press might be on the very, very, very far margin slightly better because at least they would have to spend money on. Ink and paper and all that stuff, but merely pressing a button and uh, and causing uh, you know an account, you know that with a, with a, a one with a number of zeros, adding a zero or adding ten zeros, uh, I would argue that 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 adds to the sort of ethereal or ephemeral nature of the money yeah. itself.
0: Yeah, well, uh, I don't want to get you in trouble with your colleagues, but that that's kind of a Keynesian argument. Um, he's he's the one that argued you you should dig ditches and fill them back in, and I, I feel like printing funny money. Might sort of fall into that category.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. It yeah. Does. No, I I, w- I wouldn't be in trouble for saying that because I'm not praising it. I'm saying it's the worst <laughs> <laughs> It's a terrible thing to do. Yeah. It's, it's a pernicious yeah. thing to do that has uh, that's uh, you know it's like uh, the the analogy of, uh, of you know like um, heroin or some other drug is always used in the short term, really effective, and in the long term, boy, you wind up paying for it in, in multiples, you know, of uh, of what you you might have uh, gained in the short term.
0: Yeah. So so the other um. The, other, the next factor, there's so many, I wonder if we'll even get through them all, but the next factor in this perfect storm is is the sudden discovery by government officials advocating lockdowns that when you turn off the economy, it's kind of hard to turn it back on again. They just thought it was a switch on the wall. And, yeah. and, and we're discovering, um, you just wrote a piece about um, um, the, the shortage of turkeys on Thanksgiving. And I assume we'll, we'll have a similar problem come Christmas time. And, and part of that problem, a big part of that problem was not just the inflation, more dollars chasing fewer goods, but the, the production process for raising farm animals is not, you can't conjure up more turkeys, um, uh, today, after you've discovered that there's a shortage, it's like it's in, in turkeys, I think it's like a year long, uh, breeding cycle. And so last year, the turkey farmers were thinking, you know, they, they locked down the economy this year, they've scared people. Um, we'd rather produce less turkeys ne- for next year because we just don't know with all this uncertainty, um, very much fueled by by the government's arbitrary lockdowns yep. is my take on it. I don't know what yours is.
1: No, there's, there's definitely that. I mean, uh, um, this is all about planning. And business is about planning. I'm sure you plan in your own business, and 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 um, we do in the. In, we're a nonprofit. But we do as well. And I did when I had a business. And um, uh, the very fa- one of the one of the sort of the unseen costs of lockdowns is that it introduced to a whole generation of business people the idea that existentially almost the floor can drop out from underneath them. The government can say, new variant, lockdowns for two weeks, and a lot of businesses are sort of waiting for that big, th- that big transaction or that big year or whatever when they finally have some cushion. Many never have that cushion. And so um, you know we'll never be able to count things like the restaurants that would have been started or the jobs that would have been made by some small manufacturing company or something like that that weren't because somebody who had saved some money or was just getting started said, forget it. I didn't know this was even part... Of the uh, 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 of the calculus of starting a business, but if this can be dropped, if the floor can drop out from underneath me, the rug is going to be pulled out. Choose your analogy. I'm not doing this, and and it might be better for them to take their hundred thousand or five hundred thousand, or whatever, and put it in treasuries and make one and a half percent, than to you know put it into a business and possibly you know and basically roll the dice and and, and see what happens. I think I think the calculus of starting a business changed radically once. Uh, lockdowns as a possibility and stay-at-home orders uh, was revealed.
0: Yeah, and and uh, th- thinking about this in the context of restaurants that have to um, commit to, to purchasing uh, food and, sure. and commit to to labor contracts and and commit to rent and all the things that that any restaurant would commit to, and imagine having all that food in your in your fridge and and I, I know a restaurant in New York City that had this mm-hmm. exact problem and i'm sure they all did and and the mayor arbitrarily says you know what we're not going to we're not going to allow you to open your doors and they've done that again and again and again and they're they're talking about it right now where you know there's a new variant and and fauci is hinting at new lockdowns which is always the trial balloon like fauci always he, there's a pattern now in what he does right um you know particularly when he's saying the opposite of what he means you now you now know that when fauci says you know there may be more lockdowns that they're going to try their damnedest to get away with it again. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, um, it, it takes very much whether it's just complete ignorance or depraved indifference or probably an unseemly cocktail of both. The idea of treating the economy like like a lawnmower, we can start it up and just, then just turn it down. I mean that that that's that's as dissonant uh, uh, as ever as averse. To the sort of the profit-seeking mindset, as you could imagine, um, and, and, and the fact that um, nobody has come forward and say, we won't do this again just shows. I think it's a valuable bandolier, uh, valuable quiver in their in their um, in, in their bandolier or, or, or whatever it is, a valuable arrow arrow in their quiver, and um, um, we may see more. I mean, it it, it completely changes uh the 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 decision making uh context that business people will be heading into and even for existing businesses i mean uh just in time business processes uh because of the uh the, the shipping crises and all that stuff they're rethinking the way they do business which means uh possibly not getting the things you want when you want and, and that was by the way i don't want to filibuster here but the major point of my of my of my of my article which was called an armor conspired the global shipping freeze was that we have this incredible bounty of goods and services around us from around the world and i can literally while we're talking go on amazon have something arrive in a day or two and that fools people into thinking that this is like like a Swiss watch or a centrifuge, some exquisitely designed machine when in fact the analogy I use is I liken it to, to a ballet. It's extremely, uh, it's extremely uh, precise and it can easily be upended. It's uh, it's only the miracle of, of money prices and the profit seeking motive that really allows it to work and and gets it to work and it's easily uh, upended and then uh, getting it going again is a chore.
0: Yeah. I always, uh, I've been, and I started the pandemic with uh, thinking about this short essay that Frederick Bastiat wrote, um which essentially asked the question, "Why is paris fed?" and he's he's marveling at yep. um, the city of Paris sleeping soundly every night, um just assuming that when they wake up in the morning, everything they need to live their their privileged lives would be there. And he, you know, he of, co- of course is talking about the complex division of labor, and mm-hmm. and and this almost um, infinitely complex process of bringing goods to your front door. Of course, they didn't have Amazon Prime when Bastiat was writing, but it's it's the same concept. And and I, I realized early on that that everyone, and it wasn't just politicians, but everyone that was clamoring for people to stay home. Um, and they said it more vividly than that. Um, I immediately knew that they couldn't possibly mean that because at very least, if you're part of the laptop class, you're going to want the guy delivering your Uber Eats to come to your front door. But maybe not right. thinking that that guy is standing on the shoulders of a thousand other guys who's standing on the shoulders of a million other people that are doing their jobs to bring that food to your front door. Um, this is this is classic economic ignorance, but that's that was the trap that we stepped into.
1: Yeah, I mean it's we're 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 looking at a super abundant array of prices, timing, capacity, skills, all of these things which neatly come together. And I know this is for people who are who have studied Austrian economics, this is not a revelation. But for first timers, you know, it's 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 incredible to see that there's no director up there. There's no minister of stuff who's who's you know has a giant blackboard or has a supercomputer or a quantum computer that does this. It all comes together because of the marvel of coordination and voluntary sort of interactions and money prices and all these things to bring them together. I mean, I could write a book on intermodal transportation alone on the way without any war being won or lost, without treaties, without all of that, a number of disparate interests came together and said, let's make a box. Let's make it as cheaply as we can, but still not easily breakable, right? That can go from ship to barge, to plane, to truck, to rail in, with a minimum of effort. I mean, yeah. it's, it's incredible, and that's that's one facet of this massively complex array of, uh, of of interactive systems.
0: That's that's what, and I want to go back to this this essay, I, and I I'll I'll assign it to everybody. You you have to read this if you want to if you want to have a really interesting conversation at the Christmas table. <laughs> um, read uh, because at your Christmas table, you will probably not have everything that you're used to having, or if you do have everything, you'll have paid a lot more money for it. But the, the, um, in armored, in armor, conspired, the global shipping freeze by Pete is, is I think a tour de force of trying to dissect that infinitely complex process. Um, you know, starting with shipping containers, but, but getting into that, um, it's, it's a, it's a combination of, 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 uh, Things that we did to ourselves, and things that inevitably happen um, because there's exogenous shocks to the economy. Uh, walk through that because I want to. I want to get. I want to go deeper than shipping containers. I want to talk about um, the shipping pallet crisis. I, th- I think I this mean, is it, fascinating it, stuff.
1: In one sense, that's where this all started because I remember. Over the course of 20 years, in different capacities, you know, at times I traded futures, or we'd hedge with futures. And I remember that, uh, and I, I'll get to that. But just this all started with, with me watching lumber markets because lumber is usually the most quiet, stayed market. There's only a bunch of traders in that pit, and they're all commercial interests. There's no speculators. It's all Home Depot and home builders and all these kinds of firms. And uh, lumber just went insane. Uh, uh, but we'll get to that. So, so as for the shipping crisis itself, it really starts over a course of years and decades with nominal rigidities. Uh, It's only, by the way, and by the way, one of the silver linings of all this is that people are now learning about things which have sort of been not really hidden, but quiet for a long time. What a lot of people have learned in the process of, 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 of these delays and these problems in shipping is that US ports are different than those in the rest of the world. In most places in China, Um, in in, in Amsterdam and and places like that, Netherlands. um, They work 24-7. And um, they work with some of the most up-to-date technology in the world. I've I've heard everything from robotics to laser-guided unloaders and things like that. In the U.S., for the most part, we have ports that work from 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. And they mostly do the work by hand. And that has a lot to do with the effect of collective bargaining. Has to do with unions where there are, there are there are dock workers who can make upwards of $170,000 a year, um, which what that does is that creates an instant opportunity for a small bottleneck to become a large one. So that's that's always been there, and you could say that um, because it's never been tested, nobody really knew how inefficient it was. Excuse me. So come February, March, you've got lockdown, stay-at-home orders you have an explosion of demand, lots of dry powder for consumption via stimulus uh, payments and that sort of thing. And at the same time, you have a tremendous drop in supply, both because of those same lockdowns in workplaces, and also because people grab things and pull them off of shelves. Also, early on, a lot of people this this has really kind of escaped the story, but but I think it needs to be remembered. Even before lockdowns, there was at first a sort of a drop as people got scared and stayed away from their workplaces. Then they started to come back, and then came the lockdowns. So you have two sort of hiccups in supply and production. And then what happens is consumpti- consumption expenditures among Americans quadrupled in basically about 45 days. And it's a different kind of consumption because we have, America has, and a lot of the Western, Western world has, a service-based economy, but the kinds of purchases that were made early in the rounds, and when there were all these federal additions to unemployment and all these stimulus checks going out, is stuff. We had we had we had the stuffification of the U.S. economy: exercise equipment, you know, uh, uh, computers, all sorts of actual physical things that people were ordering, and that surge in demand with the tremendous drop that that surge in demand with the tremendous drop in supply started what, we, what we're what we seeing now. And um, uh, it's, what's interesting is that we saw the exact opposite of that in oil, where in, in oil in, in, um, in April, you had Russia and Saudi Arabia getting a fight about how much oil to produce, and they basically flooded the market at the same time as nobody was taking trips and planes weren't taking off and, and, and cruises were being canceled. So that's when we had the exact opposite, which resulted in, in oil closing at negative $32 a share um in late April for the May contract so a lot of really exceptional and uh, weird things happening you know once in a hundred years sort of uh, century storms already that early in the uh, in the pandemic
0: so let let me ask you a question it's a kind of a sidebar but but everybody's talking about gasoline prices and and one of the one of the realities of being the president of the United States is that when the economy is good and people are feeling good about it you get credit even if you didn't do it, and when things are bad, and I, I'm going to spend uh, most of the rest of the show picking on the Biden administration, so I'm not trying to make excuses for him. But <laughs> right. but when things things are bad, you get blamed for everything. And and one of the uh, one of the one of the weird things that happened just the other day is that the Biden administration released the strategic petroleum reserve, which which I, I think is. Is a, is a fig leaf at best, but um, how much of uh, the price of gasoline is the Biden administration's fault and how much of it is this cycle that you just suggested?
1: So we could really, I mean, I mean, there are a number of things we could teach people that would really improve their understanding of, e- of economics. And I think one, a major one would be lag effects There are different lag effects to fiscal and monetary stimuli or or, or, or policy actions, and that's going to determine to some extent who should receive the blame or credit or whatever, but it's really, most of these phenomena are too complex to to directly blame on a given administration, but I mean, you know, with Trump we had tariffs and we had that sort of thing, and then with Biden we've had this sort of embrace of uh, of, of, of green uh, policies by force and some of these other uh, initiatives. So, I believe we saw gasoline spike at one point in the Trump administration and then come back down. And now it started to rise again uh, to the extent that uh, lockdowns caused uh, production to go offline. But I mean, we also had Hurricane Ida. That's another thing. There's a number of factors. But to the extent that, that the initial lockdowns created the circumstances which have been which have made the previous basically economic capacity and and growth and output difficult to reattain, you have to blame the initial lockdowns. And then certainly uh, I I think I think lockdowns last year are mostly to blame, as well as a lot of states for continuing lockdowns and doing their own thing. But um, we it is it has at best not been helped and probably exacerbated by the Biden administration. That's that's my overall take. Yeah. And by it, it, the way, three three days from the strategic the, the the 50 million gallons or whatever it was is three days from the strategic petroleum reserve. It's 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 a drop, and it's this it's all, it's all it's all it's all a dog and pony show. It's, it has has absolutely no impact. As a matter of fact, if I were a foreign nation that was that was producing oil, I would say that's a sign of desperation. You know, we've got them where we want them.
0: <laughs> yeah. Kind of yeah. Well, I, I think it's um, to, to sort of pile onto that, it strikes me that a lot of really bad policies are coming out of the Biden administration. Yep. But in terms of gasoline prices, we haven't really felt that yet, whether it be the, the pipeline or or just that whole philosophy. I, I sort of enjoy the irony of, of uh, fossil fuels. The, the official policy of the Biden administration is fossil fuels are destroying the planet and we're all going to die, as AOC likes to say. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, I'm going to drop the Strategic uh, Petroleum Reserve on top of that so that I guess we die faster. I don't know. Um, Right. Take private private
1: planes to Davos and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. To save the world. Um, So so back to like uh, one one thing you didn't mention in terms of the consumption binge under lockdowns, which you talk about extensively in, in this particular article. Is home improvement projects and yep. people building decks. And um, you know that that brutal combination of um, there's already a supply shortage. There's a huge spike in demand, uh, in part fueled by the fact that people are stuck at home, and they they notice yep. that their deck is falling apart, in part because they just got a stimmy check. Yep. Um, and and that destroyed the the market for softwood lumber,
1: yeah. so so for decades, uh, lumber traded between, so, so the units for lumbers and lumber and futures, uh, is, is, is dollars per thousand board feet. So for years, lumber traded between, and this is lumber futures, that could be variations in different places, but this is kind of like the world price, if you will, was between 300 and about 550 or $600 per thousand board feet. And what happened was, of course, people staying home, like you said, everybody said, well, you know, I've always wanted to put a banister on or we're gonna redo the deck or whatever. With, by, by early 2021, the price had risen to $1,700 per thousand board feet. And what you had at that time was you had, there, there, there are two really interesting things. The first is home builders were basically adding into a contract the fact that they might have to add as much as $25,000 to a price of a finished house for lumber costs if people wanted them to finish in time. The second thing is, it was noticed in some places, and this is kind of one of the side things I like to get into, I'll I'll get into it really quick, that natural cheese disappeared from store shelves and processed cheese took over. And as it turns out, you need timber, you need need wood in order to encase natural cheeses. And so when it went up to a certain price, when the the input factor of, of lumber, of wood got too high, producers just said forget it we're going to make all processed cheese so that's why you see cheese slices for a long time people saw cheese slices and they didn't see the natural types of cheese that they're used to seeing so lots and lots of side effects but yeah um what and, and by, bit by, by, the
0: way, by the way that that horrible outcome of government policy has fundamentally changed my life in a negative way oh. and i'm, I'm kind okay. of pissed about it like nope who don't eat processed cheese life's too short
1: Oh, I mean, I, I don't need much to choose anyway, but if I had to choose, of course, I would never go for the uh, r- orange number five uh, plastic stuff in uh, <laughs> cellophane or whatever. Yeah.
0: But uh, um, uh, I, w- I want to get to the uh, the lonely shipping pallet, um, something yes. that we all take for granted. We, we probably see them when we go to Costco, but um, there's not a single person in the world, perhaps you and the shipping and pallet producing industries that have thought about this, this poor thing, but uh, it's made of softwood lumber, right?
1: Yeah, it sure is. And uh, we'll jump over the containers, but containers began to become scarce when due to a number of port closures and the ever given getting stranded in a canal and all these other things, all of a sudden, most of the world's or, or a substantial amount of the world's shipping containers are on ships and they can't get unloaded. But even shipping firms that had containers often couldn't use them because there were no pallets. Pallets need to be in containers. Otherwise, you can't load them up. It's uh, it, it's, it's a way of making sure that things stay dry and that they have space and airspace and all that sort of thing between goods. But um, all of a sudden, when, when, when wood was being bit away from, from, from producers by home builders and by people working from home and all that sort of thing, even people who had containers. Uh, couldn't use them. And so you had the, you had both, uh, the adoption of substitutes like plastic and even concrete in some places, but, um, there also, there also became, a, a sort of a niche business in old lumber and, uh, or I should say old furniture suppliers, breaking apart furniture and go, moving that fur, uh, you know, it's a, it's a market and moving that wood to the higher price uh, area, responding to profit, responding to rising prices, like in rationing, and basically breaking apart furniture to turn into pallets.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we um, we we skipped over uh, containers, but another point you make in your article is that, you know, we now have this um, sort of 100 percent testing regime um, in a lot of countries, and that, you know, one person tests positive for COVID and yeah. they will. Sh- they will shut down an entire uh, shipping port, and, I, I, and that was one of the dis- disruptions.
1: Yeah, I think when we look back, the um, the uh, the sort of the apex moment of this, I hope. I mean, uh, I'd hate to think that there's one in front of us, but that's always a possibility. Um, is uh, is is the port of Ningbo? In August, uh, which is in China, it's one of the biggest in the world, and uh, it sort of a it sort of demonstrates the calculus of bureaucratic decision making. There's a a single dock worker, 32 or 34 years old, male, uh, tested positive for COVID, asymptomatic, felt fine, and they closed the port, one of the biggest in the world, for almost two weeks. That was basically the uh, that w- that was the, um, the 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 really the major and final step before we wound up with hundreds of ships off the coast waiting to be offloaded. And um, both in, I mean, not only on, on, along the Western United States, but elsewhere as well, thousands of ships around the world just sitting there. And those ships, of course, usually those ports have a, have a waiting time of zero to one per day. When you go into the hundreds, you know they start to consider things like, maybe we should just sail back to our home port and, and fly things out. And uh, yeah, that, I mean, that ultimately, what we see today, ultimately, it was getting worse and worse. But that decision to basically shut down a major port for one for one case of of, of COVID uh, really is sort of the uh, the uh, the zenith of this whole unsorted uh, and unsew affair.
0: <laughs> yeah. So there's there's yeah. a there's a million other cuts that that governments have created to create this supply chain crisis. Um, but I want to. I want to move forward. You, you said you said that we had achieved our our apex moment of of, of disruption. I, I'm not sure yep. that's true. And this I also get this from from Ludwig von Mises. You know when he's talking about the the necessary adjustments that markets need to make mm-hmm. after the government has screwed up price signals through, sure. through monetary inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, governments will never let the market uh, heal itself. Um, they always intervene. And and that gets that gets to my million dollar question. I should say trillions, since we're spending trillions now. Um sure. Will the Biden administration be the government Grinch that stole Christmas? Because I'm looking at all the things that they're doing to try to fix things, and it's it's making it worse. And I and I'll I'll point out one thing. We were talking about pallets and and softwood lumber. Um, the Biden administration is essentially doubled down on what the Trump administration was doing by imposing new tariffs on on Canadian softwood lumber. Yep. That's not going to help, is it?
1: No, of course not. That only makes things worse. And uh, it, w- it was interesting. Uh, one of the articles, I wrote four articles about lumber earlier this year. And one of them, I noted that basically two interest groups came to Washington. One was home builders and one was, uh, one was, I believe, home builders and one was, 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 uh, was, were American, I guess, timber producers or lumber firms, and eventually the one that you could tell which one won out, which one basically made the best offer, because the tariffs were kept in place. So, so that's that. You're absolutely right. That's one thing. Another thing is that the uh, the the Biden administration had the exceedingly creative idea of levying a $100 per container uh, per day fine on ships which are waiting to offload off the ports. And for the, the Panamax class ships, which are the largest, that's something like 1.1 or $1.2 million a day. Now, already the price of shipping a 40 foot container from Asia to the US has gone from about, over the last five years, it was about $2,000. At one point it hit, for guaranteed delivery, it hit almost $25,000. So now it's at a million dollar a day fine to those waiting there for something, which by the way was never their fault, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine what the argument would be for that. But it, it was in place. I, I think it was put in place and then it was withdrawn. It might have been, uh, you know, uh, sort of a um, paper tiger to sort of threaten people or whatever. But that's the second thing. In addition to that, and then the third thing is, they went to the ports and they basically convinced. Uh, they went to the, the west coast ports and the administration. Uh, they make it sound like they brokered a deal. Uh, for those ports to work longer. All they did was increase uh, overtime and raise prices. That was more of a gift to the unions than it was to anything else. So, I mean, yeah. everything they've done so far has been to complicate and worsen yeah. the, the, the existing shipping situation.
0: Yeah, and it, it it felt like that perhaps they have no idea the complexity of the problem they're trying to solve, which would be typical of, of politics. But, you know, as a 24-hour news cycle, he's he's going to focus on the Port of Los Angeles and um, workers are are going to work longer hours, but it it sort of ignored everything else. Even everything you point out is true, but it also ignored the fact that um, that was that was only one broken piece of of a broken network of of distribution.
1: Sure. Yep.
0: Yep. And so, of course, uh,
1: then you have inflation, and you have more people rushing to get goods, and it all comes together. I mean, at one point, I, I, I mean, in my own defense, I'll say this. Uh, i i'm kind of limited to three thousand or less words so eventually this will be a book but for now uh, i'm limited to one issue or a few issues per article
0: <laughs> so here's another one by the way the uh, the government grinch stealing christmas i think that's going to be the episode the title for this episode because i got my my friend over my shoulder here um just so so nobody misses that point but but here's another one um and mm-hmm. and th- these are relevant as well i you know i'm i'm against Vaccine mandates, on principle, yep. um, but they also have incredibly disruptive effects on on both uh, on the consumer side. You know, people willing to show up at concerts, at restaurants, and in, in New York City, um, but also on the the workers' side. Um, there is a new rule that that came out um, that mandates that uh, essential non-residential truckers um, are required to have proof of vaccination. And and that's an interesting phrase. I I think I know what non-residential means, Um, but does this mean that there are non-essential, non-residential truckers? I don't know, but either way, um, one of the problems that those ships had um, off the port of Los Angeles was not being able to find enough trucks and enough truck drivers to move the goods once they got on the docks And here the Biden administration is exacerbating that problem again.
1: Yeah, and there's actually an interim problem too. So first of all, it was getting into port and getting the stuff off of the ships. And then after a while it became storage because there wasn't enough room to keep all that stuff near the port. And so uh, just as we had with oil, where when oil prices dropped, the trade became not buying oil, but buying space for the oil. A lot of the land and a lot of the warehouses around ports have seen their prices go up in multiples because the places to ship the stuff. But then the issue becomes, okay, now you've got the stuff on the port finally, or in the dock nearby or nearby warehouses. Now it needs to keep moving. And trucking has been decimated. I mean, it's only... um, it's only a few years ago i think maybe 10 15 years ago whatever it was that there was a prediction that we had 100 that, that that in order to keep growth at its current at its current uh, rate you know gdp type stuff we have we needed like a couple of 100,000 truckers or new truckers, and what's happening is most of the truckers are retiring. Uh, the lifestyle is terrible. Uh, my father was a trucker, but he was a short-term trucker. He wasn't like a long-haul guy. But the long-haul business, which is really important, is just—it's—it's it's, really—it's really sort of—it has a lot to do with the regulations, that sort of thing. But a lot of people don't want to do that sort of work anymore.
0: What about um, what about like in, in the last 48 hours, we we have a new variant and and the pandemic yes. and thus. Dust- the pandemic industrial I'm, complex is freaking out.
1: I'm so scared. I know.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm not. A, I'm not afraid of the variant. I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of the people yeah. that are going to protect us from the variant. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. But one, like, and I, I don't actually know the answer to this, but they've. Uh, a lot of countries are are arbitrarily. People are getting stuck, um, in planes because a lot of countries are closing their borders to international mm-hmm. travel. Um, how does that impact um, the movement of of goods, because you know it's not directly related, but I suspect that there's a spillover effect where it it slows down the the movement of goods and and services across borders as well,
1: yeah, sure. so 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 one of the things that we saw uh, earlier this year, even before shipping got bad was Amazon bought a fleet of seven. 47 or 767 or some kind of aircraft. And we've also seen companies like Lowe's and Home Depot and Ikea buy their own ships they don't have to rely on, uh, on, 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 on external carriers. And what they do by buying their own ships is they can buy ships that can fit into smaller ports and that sort of thing. But um, to the extent that, that companies are closing their borders, of course, um, it's really two things, I think. I think the first is that they're going to do what they think will show the people that they're vigilant and that they're they're on top of things, even if they're not, even if the costs of what they're doing, the trade-offs aren't known, but they're tremendous. And They'll go for years beyond COVID. When COVID, COVID's not going to disappear, COVID's just going to become sort of endemic. But uh, years beyond all of this, we're still going to be living with the effects. So I think governments are going to do what they think they need to do to 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 look like experts and to keep it to stay in power and all that stuff. And I also think it gives opportunities for protectionism. I wouldn't be surprised, you know, for example, if in some country, if there's a competitor to say to Amazon or something like that, that Amazon finds its own planes, something maybe held up or subject to more scrutiny or whatever, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's the devil. You know, when you have these sorts of things, it becomes the devil's playground in a sense. Um, governments can sort of do the things they've wanted to do. Uh, uh, and now they have cover to do so, which would include hindering trade. Uh, protectionism without uh, uh, invisible sort of protectionist barriers, that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, and and going back to to Fauci's comments, um, probably following suit of all these other countries, he's he's itching for another lockdown. He seems to want to double down, and I I, I don't really get the logic of um, this has failed to slow the spread for the last twenty months, so let's do mm-hmm. it another time. But that. That has to create just radical uncertainty for for people wanting to fill the gap on the production side and and people wanting to get back to work, but not knowing whether or not that restaurant. Like if you take a restaurant job right now, you have to say to yourself, are they going to shut this down for Christmas? And I'm not I'm I'm not going to make make that money that I thought I would. Mm -hmm. It's all it all screws everything up.
1: Yeah, I mean, just the mere
0: mention. So, so I, I mean, I, of course, given my
1: background, I watch all the financial markets, equities, bonds, all that really closely. And just the mention of a new variant sent the Dow down, or I, 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 yeah, I guess it was the Dow down about 1,000 points, which is 3%, it's not a lot. But I mean, that's a pretty knee-jerk reaction. I mean, so if you imagine that sentiment, but across the entire economy, in terms of people who are right now sitting in front of a checkbook saying, Am I gonna pay this person? Am I gonna expand for the holidays or whatever? I mean, the ripple effects are huge. And what makes them so much worse is you you mentioned Bastia before, is that they're unseen, right? So for some reason, the government is able to say, well, if we hadn't done this, this would have happened. But when an economist or somebody says, well, Doing this means these things won't happen. Somehow they were received entirely differently, probably because of the authority factor or whatever. But I mean, you know, I, I I'm constantly telling people like there are thousands of jobs. There there are there are trillions and trillions of dollars of wealth and and and, and standards of living that will not be unlocked in years and decades to come because of these policies.
0: So um, one uh, one of the narratives coming. I- let, let's say from the left, from the progressive left, and I think part of it is political, wanting to cover for the Biden administration, which is is taking a beating in in their public support right now. Yep. Is is this narrative that you know we we really didn't deserve the prosperity we had, and we should we should learn to live with less? Uh, there was a there's this horrible yep. Washington Post editorial about this. Um, yep. It's like the new the new austerity. Is, is being reframed not as a policy mistake but as a as a moral imperative
1: so isn't it interesting that when austerity comes as a matter of policy the left goes crazy but then they say well maybe you should absorb it sort of naturally anyway maybe that should be the way we go I, I, uh, some years ago I was watching uh, Bill Clinton give a speech and he said something along the lines of he said you know there's no problem with uh, with, uh, with, with with there's no problem with 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 uh, Carbon uh, you know emissions and footprints and all that stuff we just need to slow down our economy and I said you understand slowing down the economy means lives it means infant mortality it means uh, uh, longevity I mean all these this is not a subtle thing these things roll off the tongue for many of these people but there are huge implications to all that yeah i I, I this this whole thing like I should feel guilty because I can get a package in 24 hours is just I mean I, they're shameless what else can yeah. you say they're, yeah. they're shameless I mean to even suggest something like that it's not like I'm getting it for free I'm paying for it I mean okay. so
0: yeah I I, I assume um, that that you have an opinion about about this argument that that um, uh, still persists but it was it was it, it emerged almost immediately when the lockdowns came down that those of us talking about uh, the trade-offs, um, not just in terms of, of wealth, but in terms of lives, in terms of cancer care, in terms of mental health. Um, mm-hmm. these, these, all, all of these things happened, but but a lot of us, uh, particularly at AIER, uh, a lot of your folks predicted this stuff early on, um, but it's always characterized as, we only care about economics and they care about keeping people safe. Well, those that's a, that's a false choice because- it's,
1: it's the mother of false dichotomies that you have to choose between a vibrant or, or even a functional economy and public health. That's absolutely not the case. They're absolutely symbiotic. They're tied together. And uh, just, I mean, one of the things I, 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 I wrote about, Matt, was a couple of months ago, I wrote an article saying, we're going to find out that another- unintended side effect, unintended uh, impact of knockdowns is that a lot of these people who undertook doing construction at home, doing these DIY projects, a lot of them probably hurt themselves. And actually what we're finding out now is that there are, there is research coming out saying, you know, in various countries, finger injuries, eye injuries, all of these things coming from people saying, oh, uh, I have wooden drill, therefore I'm a carpenter. Uh, came back to you know came back to, to, to cause uh, to, to to not only uh, bring about more costs but also an impact on insurance and all that sort of thing so there you can look in the data there is a surge between say March and uh, march and, and August of 2020 in emergency room visits and all that sort of thing and that's again that's a tiny tiny small thing but um, Again, these costs will be will, will be manifested in our future insurance premiums and the services offered by hospitals and all that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, it, you're again reminding me of Bastiat's uh, uh, celebration yep. of the division of labor. Uh, yep. Maybe some men shouldn't handle power tools is the bottom line.
1: maybe some people shouldn't do economics or or, or pretend to (laughs)
0: yeah yeah so i want to end with i want to talk a little bit about aier and the fantastic work you guys do Uh, but i but i want to end with perhaps the worst take on twitter and and it comes from the 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 federal reserve of st louis um talking about rampant inflation in the retail price of turkey Mm-hmm. And they they actually said let them eat tofu instead. Um, is yeah. tofurkey an acceptable substitute for that bird on your on your Christmas table? Uh,
1: not yet, no. I, I so, so I, I I took a page from Jonathan Swift and I wrote an article a few weeks ago where I said you don't have to. It was it was it was meant to be satirical. I said you don't have to pay more for Thanksgiving. You can buy. Here's a list of things you could buy where the prices dropped between November 2020 and November 2021. And uh, I said it, it would be hot dogs, no buns, cheese processed, lettuce, no dressing, just plain lettuce, uh, and cookies, no milk. And by the way, the if you drink water, you know, you just drink water, the water's good for you. It can't be cold, it has to be lukewarm. I mean, and that's also, by the way, that's also pretty much. The Thanksgiving and dessert and 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 Christmas menu in most prisons, so yeah. you know you don't have, you don't have to spend more. Uh, but as for as for uh, as for eating uh, uh, tofu, you know that's that's just a sign that that, that that the Feds. I mean, the Fed was already loaded with more than it could handle. But the Fed's uh, uh, mission creep is so incredible these days. You have the Fed not only weighing in on on things like climate change and on, on inequality but also now on your diet.
0: Yeah, maybe. Like tongue,
1: tongue in cheek or not, uh, yeah. to me, that's just a sign of their uh, just rampant sort of uh, um, uh, um, viral nature in our in our, in our in our society. Just the fact that they're, they're, they're even deigning to, to say things
0: about that. So you, you just described a potential Christmas under lockdowns, which is a euphemism for imprisoning people in their own homes. And yep. we'll be eating uh, government cheese and cookies and hot dogs, just mm-hmm. like they do in prison. Yep. So, on the proposal, will the government grinch steal Christmas? I think you're saying yes.
1: I think uh, I think it may. It, it won't be. Well, I, the only reason I'm hesitant to answer this is because a lot of these shipping issues are now being resolved. But I think the potential for overreaction to Omicron makes the possibility higher that what we would have had if things hadn't changed in the last month or so more more realistic i think i think we could have much more of a grinchy uh uh christmas than we were in a holiday season that we would have otherwise because of the timing of omicron
0: okay that's spoken like a true economist well there's this and then there's that and there's these uncertain factors um so so tell me tell me uh, first of all how do we find your stuff um um and, and read up on this and, and all the other stuff you write about.
1: Sure. So I'm I work for AIR American Institute for Economic Research. Um, that's AIR.org. You can follow my articles and any, and anyone else's that writes here. Uh, Phil Magnus, Tom Hogan, Ryan Yank, a bunch of other people. We have some great writers. Uh, and I'm on Twitter at uh, the address is at L1KNB. That's Let a Thousand Nations Bloom. L1KNB, and I usually post on there somewhat sporadically, try to do one a day, but usually it winds up being a few in one day and then nothing for a day or two, but I'm always on uh, at least reading. And uh, I guess that's about it.
0: And of course, uh, the American Institute for Economic Research is also the home of the Great Barrington Declaration, um, which, which in my mind changed the debate and and brought a li- at least a little bit of sanity to an otherwise insane reaction to the pandemic.
1: It was an interesting moment. It was an interesting time to be here, yes.
0: Yeah. Okay, Pete, thanks so much. And uh, we're going to hope that I'm wrong about Christmas and that the market is going to beat um, the politicians come Christmas time. Agreed. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me.